All right, if you guys have not been with us for the past several weeks, we've been going through a series on the Great Commission, which is laid out in Matthew 28. And starting this week, we're going to begin to wrap up this series. Today, I'm going to dive into our personal responsibility as individual believers to obey this Great Commission. And next week, we'll finish up with corporate responsibility, the role of the church corporately in this Great Commission. So what I'm going after today, just on the front end, I want to let you know this, is that your personal role in the Great Commission would become very, very, very clear to you. And that you would begin to feel the weight of this authoritative command of Jesus on your life. And that you would be encouraged to pursue obedience to this mission more and more and more. So let's take some time to pray together, uh, and then we will dive in. So let's pray. Lord, we, we are gathered in your name, Jesus. We are your people called by your name, your possession, Lord. God, and we are gathered in your name and we ask for your help. God, we just confess, Lord, that if you don't help, if you don't bless, Lord, there's no edification that can happen apart from your Holy Spirit. And we, Lord, we ask for you to come down. Lord, we ask for you to help us. Help me to teach your word. Lord, I just confess that there's nothing good in my flesh. Lord, and I just ask for your help. Lord, I pray that you would help us to hear your word. And I just confess for us as a, as a church, Lord, apart from you, Lord Jesus, we can do nothing. So we cry out for your help, Jesus. And we claim promises that you, Lord, you work for those who wait for you. You work for those who wait for you, Lord Jesus. And it's the ones who through faith and patience, those are the ones who inherit promises. We want to believe you, that you are with us always, that you'll never leave us nor forsake us. Lord, you will finish the work that you start in us. God, and we ask you to do that among us today. Lord, we pray that you would be exalted, Jesus, in this church, in this meeting, and all week long by every single person here. We pray that you would be lifted high and glorified. We pray this in your powerful name, Jesus. Amen. All right, as we begin today, let's start out, let's launch out in Matthew 28. So if you want to go ahead and turn there in your Bible, we're going to, we're going to read a few verses together, and we're going to review the Great Commission. Now, if you've been here uh, for the past several weeks, a lot of this at, on the front end will be reviewed for you, but I want to make sure that this is crystal clear in our mind, uh, what Christ has commanded of us, okay? So I want to make sure this is crystal clear. So turn to Matthew 28, and let's read verses 16 through 20 together. And it says this, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw Him, they worshipped Him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age." All right, I will remind you that in verses 19 and 20, Jesus gives us four verbs. Okay, and we've called your attention to this before. What are those four verbs in verse 19 and 20 that Jesus gives us? They're go, make, baptize, and teach. Okay, that would be something that might be really helpful for you to circle in your Bible. Go, make, baptize, teach. There are four verbs in verse 19 and 20. And what we've said, and I'll remind you again, 
is one of those four verbs is the main point, the exclamation point. It's the actual command that's given in the Great Commission. And the reason that it's like that is that the verb tense is called an imperative. The other three verbs of the four are called participles, and they hang off this main imperative in the Great Commission. And what do we say that the main point, the thrust, the exclamation point in the Great Commission is? It's not go, it's not baptize, and it's not teach. It's make disciples. That's the thrust. The other three things explain, the participles explain how we go about this task that Jesus has given us to make disciples. So, I know that's review for most of you here, but I want to underline it again. Okay, The thing that we're supposed to be about is making disciples. These other words explain how that's to be done. Now, here's the bottom line. Jesus has given an authoritative perpetual mandate for the church. We are to always be about making disciples. This is authoritative on every single believer. This means that your obedience to this command uh, that Christ has given us is not optional. Okay? This is an authoritative mandate. And I want to ask you, do you feel the personal responsibility to obey Jesus in this command, make disciples? Do you feel that responsibility? And I want to freshly encourage you today to obey Jesus in this mission. Alright, before we go further into this, I want to spend some more time on the explanatory words in the Great Commission. Okay? So the main thrust is make disciples in the explanatory words. Let's talk about that some more. I want this also to be very clear in your mind. Because this, this gives us a, a vivid picture of how this is supposed to go down in our life. And if you'll look on your sheet, I'm calling this the essential components of disciple making. Because we're going to walk into a second, we're going to walk into how this doesn't look the same for every single believer. But this part is authoritative. This can never change. Okay? So let's look at the first word, go. I want you to think about this. This word actually answers the question, when or how often should I obey this great commission? You say, how does the word go answer that question? Because literally, this little word go is literally should be translated as you are going. It's a present tense continuous action. Okay, As you are going is the literal phrase here. So this phrase answers the question, how often should you obey this mission? Well, you should obey it as you're going. And that begs the question, right? As I'm going where? Okay? And so th- this, this drives us into, into the, this vividly drives us into as you're going through life, or like John Bunyan says in the opening line of Pilgrim's Progress, as I was walking through the wilderness of this world. Your life in the scriptures is pictured as a walk. Okay? So when you, when you see that phrase go, you need to know it actually is as you're going. And as you're going where? As you're going through life. Okay? Your whole life needs to be about this mission. We are, to, we are to make disciples as we are going. Okay? Next word. Next phrase actually is of all the nations. Okay? So if the first one answered how often you should obey the Great Commission, this one answers where should you obey it. Where should you be about making disciples? Okay? Jesus tells us that the only appropriate place for obeying the Great Commission is anywhere on planet earth where there are lost people. Okay, the scope of this mission is of all nations. So this is very broad, okay? That this mission to make disciples is to be obeyed with our entire life anywhere on planet earth that we happen to be at any given moment. Okay? 
This is what these words mean. Think about this. The next two words clarify what we're supposed to So if we do this with our whole lives, anywhere on planet earth, what are we supposed to be about doing? Baptize and teach. Let's dive into those words. The word baptize, okay, this does not mean that anywhere on planet earth that you just run and grab as many lost people as you possibly can and just start dunking them as fast as possible, right? This does not mean that, okay? We baptize believers, Okay, this is, what, this is the command of Jesus. After someone has trusted Him, after someone has believed the gospel, they are baptized and incorporated in the church. So baptized, this word baptized presupposes evangelism. Do you all understand that? That if, if we have a command to baptize, then what's hanging behind that command that might not be explicitly stated? It's evangelism. Because we have to baptize believers. We have to obey Jesus. Okay? And then what happens after someone believes, is evangelized, believes the gospel, is baptized and incorporated into the local church? And you go to the next phrase in the Great Commission. The word is teach. Okay? We are to take those people who have been baptized, believe Jesus, baptized, incorporated in the local church, and we are to begin to teach them what? All that Jesus, to observe all that Jesus has commanded them. Okay? Think about this. Putting this all together, this means that every Christian needs to be engaged in some form of evangelism and teaching. Anywhere you're at, in any given life stage, and anywhere you're at on planet earth. Do we see that? That's what that means. Unpacking it. This is a command. We need to be about these things with our whole lives anywhere on planet earth. This is the authoritative words of Jesus. Binding on every member of His church until the end of time. And I want to ask you this. Do you feel the weight of this command? Do you tremble at this command? Jesus is a king. In fact, the Great Commission, what He says before He's 19 and 20, He says, all authority is given to Me in heaven and on earth. Okay, Think about this. The one with all authority just gave us a command. We should tremble at these things. Okay, And if we're thinking rightly about them, it doesn't matter if Jesus says, after He says, all authority is Mine, It doesn't matter if he says, grow wings and fly. The next thing that comes out of his mouth, we're going to be about doing. Okay, And right after he says, all authority is mine, he says, make disciples. This is a weighty, weighty command on the church. Do you feel the weight of this? Do you feel the weight of this? Some form of evangelism and teaching needs to be happening in the life of every single believer. This is the Great Commission. All right, now let's get more personal. Those are the essential components of what God has required of every believer. Okay? With your whole life, anywhere on planet earth, evangelize and teach. Those are essential components. But now let's break it down to what the obedi- obedience to the Great Commission looks like on an individual level. Okay, let's think about that together. Obedience to the Great Commission, it does look different for every single believer. Think about this. The core truths that we just covered, the essential components, will always be there. But the way they play out, they play out in different methods and different strategies. The commands of Christ are authoritative. Think about this. But the commands, the methods of men are not. The command of Jesus to make disciples is authoritative and binding on every single believer. The methods of how men and believers go about obeying this great commission are not authoritative. The commands of Jesus are authoritative. We need to feel the weight of the command, not the weight of methods. So at this church, we are not about 
reproducing methods. We are asking God to empower us to reproduce disciples. Okay? So I don't want our focus to be off. There are essential components, but there is a diverse way to go about making disciples. Diversity is a beautiful thing, and it's, and it's the design of our wise, all-wise Father in heaven. He has made the body in such a way that there is diversity. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 19 and 20. Flip there if you don't mind. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 19 and 20. This is what God has done in the body. It says, But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as He chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? And as it is, there are many parts, yet one body. And I would just remind you that diversity in the body, this is the way that God set it up. This is God's design. There will be a a diversity of ways, a variety of ways that different believers obey the Great Commission. Okay, there's a diversity. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and I'll read verse 4 through verse 6. It says this, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. I believe that this verse clearly teaches us that there will be a diversity in strategy and methods to obedience to the Great Commission. Okay? I believe it's clearly here. This passage actually celebrates it. Okay? So, not just that it's true, but it's good. This is the design of God, diversity in the body. Think about this. Why is diversity a good thing in the body? Have you ever thought about that question? Why is variety and diversity a good thing? All right? Pay a little bit closer attention to that passage that we just read. I want you to look at it. Look at it close. And I want to ask you, did you notice that all three members of the Trinity are mentioned in that passage? Look close. We have the Spirit. That's God the Holy Spirit. And then we have a reference to the Lord. That's Jesus, God the Son. And then we have God, and that's God the Father. This is one passage God has presented to us as the Trinity, the Godhead. Three, yet one. Three persons, and yet one God. This is who God is. He's diverse. There's diversity, yet oneness in God. Okay? This is a good thing. Diversity is good because this is what God is like. In a similar way to that God is three persons, yet one God... The church is many members, yet one body. This diversity and oneness glorifies God because it reveals what God is like. Okay, We are a body with many members, but we're one body. And we will go about obedience to the Great Commission in a diverse methods and diverse strategies, but there, there's one mission. You see this? Diversity and oneness. This is the way that God set it up. The core elements of the Great Commission will always be there for everyone. There needs to be an outlet in your life for evangelism and teaching the Bible. Okay, Every single person. But the way that people go about that will look different. Think about why. Here's a few examples of why that's true. Why will it always look different for every believer? Here's some examples. As we pursue obedience to Jesus in this mission, we will all be at differing levels of maturity. Amen to that. We are not all the same. We are not all at the same place. There's new believers 
And then there's older believers. Okay? So think about how it would be if we just thought everybody just needs to be at the same place and, and mature. Well, that sounds good, but that means that nobody's gotten saved lately. Do you understand that? That's, a ba- that's actually a bad thing. If we don't have people getting saved and new believers at all, at all times, and it will never change, there will be different levels of maturity as we pursue this mission. Uh, another example, we will have differing spiritual gifts as we pursue this mission. Okay? Do you all understand that concept? That there are things that Christ has commanded for every single believer, but some people will be very gifted in certain areas. For example, Ephesians chapter 4 lists a spiritual gift of an evangelist. Someone who's very, very gifted and affected and effective as, seeing, as preaching, the gospel to lost, preaching the gospel to lost people and seeing them get saved. Some people will be very, very effective and very gifted by God in that area. Some will not, but we all have a responsibility to evangelize. We will be at different maturity levels and we will have different giftings as we pursue this mission. Here's another example. We will have different personality types as we pursue this mission. Y'all understand what I mean by that? We will have off-the-chart extroverts in this church, in any church. Okay? And then we will have off-the-chart introverts at this church and any church. We are not the same. And obedience to this mission will look different for those types of people, for those personality types. But there needs to be an outlet in every single believer's life for evangelism and teaching the Bible. Okay? We will have differing roles as we pursue this mission. Think about that. Think about the schedule of a college student versus the schedule of a 40-year-old man with a full-time job and six kids. Differing roles, differing schedules. We will not all be college students. We will not all be uh, grown men with six kids. We will have stay-at-home moms, career people. We will be at different roles as we pursue this mission. There is and will be and must be diversity and obedience to this mission. And the reason that I bring this up, and just camping out here, is I want to remind you that uniformity is a very dangerous thing in a local church. It's very dangerous. Think about this. Some of us will be tempted, usually in our zeal, to squeeze everybody into the exact same mold. Okay? This is the Great Commission cookie-cutter strategy. Okay? It's conformity. Everybody is trying to be like one person or everybody is trying to be like someone else. Okay, think about this. Maybe some of us would feel more comfortable if the Scripture said this. Maybe you would feel more comfortable if it said, there is one gift from one Spirit, one service from one Lord, one activity from one God. But the Scripture doesn't say that. Okay? There are many. There are many gifts. There are many activities. There are many services. Okay? Uniformity is not God's plan. We are a body. There remains one mission. And there will be a variety of ways that we obey Jesus and His mission. So think about this. We aim always for unity, but never uniformity. We always aim for unity, but never uniformity. Uniformity would demand that everybody conform to everybody or one person in the church. But unity demands that we all do our part. Uniformity can lead to the spiritual pitfall. This is so dangerous. Please listen to this. Uniformity can lead to the spiritual pitfall of comparing yourself with another believer. Turn to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, 
Verse 12, I want to read a verse to you. The reason I'm reading this is that uniformity can lead. This idea that everyone squeezed into the same exact mold can lead to, to the spiritual pitfall of comparing yourself or measuring yourself by other believers. And I'm going to read 2 Corinthians 10, verse 12. I invite you to read that with me. It says, Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who, who are commending themselves. But when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. Alright? So I want to say this. We have all been sharpened by other people within the body of Jesus. That's happened to every single believer. And it is certainly helpful to have the Christian life modeled for you by someone. That is definitely helpful. But I wonder if we take this verse serious enough. I wonder if you're aware of our flesh to gravitate towards this. This measuring ourselves and comparing ourselves with one another. I wonder if you take that serious enough. Listen to how a variety of translations describe uh, this verse. This is just how it ends. My version ESV says, without understanding. Listen to some of the others. This, when we do this, when we compare ourselves with other Christians, it's not wise. It's not intelligent. It's without understanding. And one version even says, how ignorant is this? This is a foolish thing in the Christian life. This is clearly laid out for us in the Word of God. If you're doing, but think about this. If you compare yourselves to other people, if you're doing better than who you compare yourself to, you have swung the door wide open, left yourself wide open to the temptation to self-righteousness. If you're doing better, you just feel great about yourself. Pat yourself on the back all day long. If you're not doing as well as who you've compared yourself to, or measured yourself by, you have left yourself wide open to condemnation. Self-righteousness and condemnation, you leave yourself wide open to these things. Do you understand that? Now, if we pursue the Great Commission out of a zeal to be the same as or better than other Christians, then we depart from the two great motives of the, of the mission. We spent two weeks on this. What are the two motives? Love for God and love for people. When we compare ourselves and try to be better than other believers, we depart from the two great motives. And listen to Philippians chapter 1, verse 15. We fall into this trap. Philippians 1, 15-17 says, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely. Did you know that could happen? That your evangelism and your teaching of the Bible can actually be motivated by comparing yourself to other people, trying to be better than other Christians? This is absolutely wicked. And Christ, gets, Christ is not glorified in your life for these things. So if you're tempted to compare yourself to or measure yourself by other believers, you need to get your eyes off of men and women and get your eyes on the Word of God. Okay? There are essential things that need to be in your life, but the ways that the Great Commission will be obeyed will be different within the body. Get your eyes off of men and on the Word of God. Christ is our standard, and diversity is God's good design.
We need to actively celebrate diversity within the body. That verse that I read to you a minute ago in uh, uh, what was that? Second Corinthians twelve, first Corinthians twelve, four through six. That passage ends with a phrase that said, It's the same God who empowers. So think about this. Every single act of obedience to the Great Commission is empowered by God. So we need to celebrate as we see people who are very gifted in certain areas. What if you thought about those people as praise God, Jesus is empowering that person to obey his mission. He gets every ounce of glory for every single act of obedience to the Great Commission. We get no praise. God gets all the praise. We need to celebrate diversity. Alright, I hope you feel freed up now. The reason I'm going that route is I hope you feel freed up that God has not commanded you to be like other people. Okay? Our standard is Christ. And there's a diversity of ways that this is played out. We're not conforming to other Christians. We are to obey King Jesus. Okay? I want to spend the rest of our time diving into what obedience to the Great Commission looks like for you. I want you to begin to, the wheels of your mind to begin churning. What does it look like for me? And we will look to Christ as our example. We're going to go in two passages. You can just go ahead and get ready for that. We're going to look at Jesus' example of evangelism and Jesus' example of disciple making. And we're going to John 4 and John 17. So let's think about this. Let's get practical with personal evangelism. What is it? I'll remind you last week when we defined evangelism at what is evangelism? It's not anything we want it to be, right? It is making known the evangel. Evangelism is making known the gospel, which is a very specific message of, of what God has done in Christ to save sinners. Okay? How can you obey Jesus? Insert your name into this question. How can you... Insert your name here. Obey Jesus in personal evangelism. Ask that again. How can you, not your neighbor or somebody you know that really needs to hear this message, how can you, insert your name in that question, obey Jesus in personal evangelism? I want you to listen to this passage. I believe that this passage can unpack some things that can be very helpful for you. And I want you to listen with the ear of your own personal obedience to Christ. Okay? Because we're going to walk through some application. This passage in John 4, we'll read verses 1 through 26. I know this a lot, but I'm going to roll through that passage pretty fast. We're going to read verse 1 through 26. And this passage describes Jesus' evangelistic encounter with this lost woman. She's a Samaritan woman at the well. Maybe some of you are very familiar with this passage. Now, I think some of this will be very helpful for you. Thinking towards practically, how can I apply this? What can I do? Okay? And we could go for ideas, you know, Dr. Phil all day long about what we think would work, but this is the Word of God. This is Christ, sinless Jesus. And we get the front row seat to, to how the Savior engaged lost people. So let's read John chapter 4. I'm going to read verse 1 through 26. I'm going to try to read that really fast. It says this, Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, Although Jesus Himself did not baptize, but only His disciples. He left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And He had to pass through Samaria. So He came to the town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as He was from His journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. 
for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would ask him, and he would give you living water. Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well, and he drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not have so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I believe that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Praise God for this story. Praise God for this awesome encounter with this woman. And praise God that Jesus gives us basically a front row seat to observe how He engages this lost woman. Let's use Jesus as our model and learn from this passage. What are some things that we can take away from this? What are some things that we can read this story, we can see how He engaged this this woman, and we can write down some things that apply for every single person in here? Alright, so let's walk through this together. Let our evangelism bear the following marks. Number one. We need the proper timing in evangelism. Okay? Think about that. What if I told you that there were only two times in the entire Word of God that it's appropriate to share the Gospel? Anybody know what they are? Only two times. The appropriate, proper timing. Listen to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. Listen close. Be ready in season and out of season. Okay? So the Scriptures tell us the only appropriate times to share the Gospel. Number one, are in season. And number two, are out of season. I see any other time besides those two times would be inappropriate to share the Gospel. Okay? In season and out of season, we are to be ready. Alright? Now listen to this. Jesus modeled this for us. We have to be ready at any given moment, and we should be ready at any given moment to talk about Christ, to engage people with the Gospel. And Jesus does this. Look at verse 6. Verse 6 plainly tells us that Jesus has had a very long journey, 
And He's weary and He's thirsty. And even after a long day's work, Jesus encounters her with the Word of God, with the Gospel. Okay? We have to have the proper timing to be ready in season and out of season to talk about this message. Number two, we need to be intentional in evangelism. Okay? The Great Commission will never be finished on accident. It requires us being intentional. Think about this. We must be intentional about getting where lost people are. Look at Jesus in verse 6. It tells us that Jesus is sitting beside a well in verse 6. Okay? This is a very public location that all sorts of people come through. All sorts of people come to this place and He's camped out, posted up right there. Okay? He has intentionally placed Himself around where lost people gather. Okay? And this is His model. This is what He's done. And we need to intentionally place ourselves in similar places. Think through that. What does that mean for you? How can you intentionally get in places like this? Number three, we need to engage in evangelism. We should take the initiative in starting conversations. Okay? We should not always wait for people to engage us. We should take the initiative. Okay? Jesus does this in verse 7. We need to look for entry points into ways that we can engage people and fire up a conversation with them. Okay? Jesus does this with this woman in verse 7. He starts this conversation with this woman in the natural realm. What does He do? He says, I'm thirsty. Could you give me a drink of water? Okay? Is there anybody in here who can say that to somebody? I'm a little thirsty. Could I have a drink of water? And He starts this conversation in the natural realm and He engages this woman. Okay? Number four, we need to make the shift in our conversations towards the Gospel. Think about that. Make an intentional shift in your conversations with lost people towards the spiritual, towards the Gospel of Christ. And look for bridges to help you do this. Does everybody understand what I mean by when I say bridges? If that conversation's in the natural and you want to go to the spiritual, to the Gospel, there's a bridge to help you get there. And Jesus does this. Jesus does this. Look in verse 10. He takes this conversation about earthly water, and in verse 10, He compares this earthly water to living water. He shifts it towards the Gospel. He shifts it towards spiritual things. Alright, think through some bridges that could help you swing a conversation in this direction. We need to do this. We need to engage, and we need to shift those conversations directly towards the Gospel. Number five, we need to talk about sin. We must address personal sin. There is no way around this. The Gospel is only as good as the sin that it addresses. Okay? It's only good news if we see the bad news. There's no way around addressing personal sin. Jesus does this in verse 18. What does He say? He says, You have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. He does this. In our culture of relativism, y'all know what that word means? Just anything goes. There's no absolute standard. In our culture of relativism, sin has become very culturally unacceptable to talk about. You guys know this. Okay? Well, obedience to Jesus' mission is going to demand that we break through those cultural barriers and that we talk about sin. There is no way around this. And I'll just say this. We need to be more concerned about being faithful to God than being polite to our cultural barriers. 
And I, hear me closely. I'm all about being polite to people, but not if it causes us to disobey God. Do you understand that? And what, what needs to keep us up at night is not that we've been, been impolite to people, but that we've been disobedient to King Jesus. Okay? We need to obey. And we need to press through these cultural barriers. We must talk about sin. Number six, we need to anticipate diversion. This is hilarious in this story. Jesus says what we just read in verse 18. You've had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. He, he, he looks at this lady, and he basically says, you are a habitual adulteress. And she responds, and she, she says, um, so-and-so says we should worship over here, and so-and-so says she, we should worship over here. What do you think? It's like, how are you going to respond to that charge the way that she did and what, what's happening, what's going on there, is he addresses personal sin and she starts spinning backwards, right? We need to anticipate diversions. Uh, this woman swings the conversation away from, her, away from her personal sinfulness onto theological controversies. Anybody ever experienced anything like this? Okay, you're, you're going into the, the core of the gospel and someone just comes out of nowhere with something. Do you know why? Because we hate to talk about our sinfulness, okay? And, and we will divert in our flesh. We will divert. We'll throw that conversation on anything else we can imagine. You need to know this. You need to expect diversions. This will happen. Don't let it discourage you, and don't let it throw you off. Number seven, answer questions wisely. Do not let questions hijack you sharing Jesus with somebody, Okay? Answer them wisely. Someone can have one question after another into eternity. Do not let questions hijack the conversation. Look at what Jesus does. Be willing to chase rabbit trails and questions, but quickly return to the core of the gospel. So she throws Jesus this diversion, okay, about this theological controversy. And what does Jesus do? He answers her question, but drives her straight back to the core of the gospel. And you see him answer a question in verse 21 through 24. And then verse 26 takes this woman directly back to the core of the gospel about Christ the Messiah. You see Jesus do this. Uh, there, is a, there, is an, an F, there is an element in personal evangelism of warfare. And what I mean by that is people actually have mindsets that have blinded them from the gospel of Jesus. They have believed lies and falsehoods. And there is an element in our evangelism where we engage people and we tear down lies. Okay? Such as, it's not about where you worship. It's about spirit and truth. He does this. Okay? And there are people who have believed false gospels in their life and we need to tear them down and drive them straight back to the gospel. Answer questions wisely. Take them directly back to the gospel. And then finally, number eight, we need to exalt Jesus. Never forget to exalt the good news. This is the ultimate message. This message about Christ crucified for sinners and risen triumphantly as King of the universe, this message has no rivals. There is no rival to this message. Exalt the good news. It is the good news. Exalt it. And you see Jesus do this in verse 14. He holds up how good His offer is to this woman. And He says, Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. 
And you see that Jesus do this again in verse 26, where He basically says, I'm the, I am the Messiah who is called the Christ. He exalts Himself in front of this woman. We must lift up Jesus. We play to our strengths. You understand that phrase? The strongest thing that we have in our possession is the, is the gospel of Jesus. This is what brings dead men and dead women to spiritual life. This is what God uses over and over and over again. It's the only thing He uses to bring salvation is the gospel. Play to our strengths. Exalt this message. Jesus is Savior. Jesus is King. And He is better. Let us exalt this glorious gospel. Don't ever lose the chance just to relish, just to exalt Christ in front of someone. This needs to be done. Herald this message. Alright, just as we use Jesus as our model for personal evangelism in John 4, and I pray that you would think through some of those points for yourself. Just practically, what do those look like in your life? Okay, They might look different to the person sitting right beside you. Well, what do those elements look like in your life from John 4? How can you apply the Word of God? Now let's do the same thing for personal disciple making that we did for personal evangelism. Go ahead and turn to John 17. When I say uh, th- this part of the message is going to focus on the second half of the Great Commission and this phrase. This is how it's phrased in Matthew 28. Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. So think through this. How can you, insert your name into this question, how can you teach them to observe all that Jesus has commanded? i ask it one more time. Insert your name in this question, not your neighbor's name. Not anybody else that you think needs to hear this. How can you teach people to observe all that Jesus has commanded? How can you obey Him in this area? Turn to John chapter 17. I'm going to read verses 1, and I'm going to stop at verse 18. Uh, John 17, let's talk about this for just a minute. Jesus spends His entire earthly ministry making disciples. Okay, And then in John 17, this is a prayer recorded in the Word of God that Jesus prays the night before He's crucified. Okay, Jesus spends His earthly ministry making disciples, and then He prays this prayer in John 17. Called the high priestly prayer. Some people call it that. Okay. Thing I want you to know about this prayer is this prayer summarizes in a lot of ways. It summarizes Jesus' earthly ministry. Okay. And we're going to see that in a second. And what I want to call your attention to is there is a lot of light that can be shed on personal disciple making from this prayer of Jesus in John 17. We can we can see how he did it. How did he do this? Okay. And John 17 is going to show us many things. So as I read this, we're going to do the same thing. As I'm reading this, listen very closely to the story. See if you can follow along. And then we're going to spend some time unpacking what are some truths that we can take away from John 17 that you can apply directly to your life. So let's get to John 17. And I'm going to read verse 1 through verse 18. I'm going to try to do this pretty fast. It says this, When Jesus had spoken these words... He lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. 
I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave to me. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you have gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. They have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name which You have given Me, that they may be one even as we are one. Verse 12, While I was with them, I kept them in Your name, which You have given Me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the Scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to You, and these things that I speak in the world, that they may have My joy in themselves. I have given them Your Word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that You take them out of the world, but that You keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your Word is truth. As You sent Me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. I know that's a long passage. Actually, it's two long passages. But I think this is an awesome, this is an awesome mercy from God that we can get insight into Christ, our Savior's prayer life. I mean, this is a vivid picture. This is an awesome mercy that we get. All right, insight into our Savior's prayer life. Let's use Jesus as our model of teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Personal disciple making. How can we apply this? Let our teaching bear the following marks. Okay, Think about these things. Number one, in our disciple making, aim for the glory of God. In verse 4, we see that Jesus' aim in finishing and accomplishing the work that He had on earth was that God would get glory, was that the Father would be glorified. And this should be our aim as we step out in obedience to Jesus in the Great Commission to teach them to observe all that He's commanded us. Okay, Our aim should be the glory of God. If you aim for your own glory in personal disciple-making, everything else after that is going to be wrong. Everything, it doesn't matter what you do after that. If you seek your own glory, anything you do after that cannot make up for, for that mistake. Okay? I have been warned so many times recently about this danger of self-glory. In myself, and in any kind of leadership role, this seems to be a temptation over and over and over again that we will be tempted to glorify ourselves instead of Jesus. Okay? So I, I just commend it. Think about these things. Okay? This whole idea of self-glory, it is so deceitful. So the worst thing about it is you think you're not doing it, but you are. Okay. So what are some marks in your life, that you, some checklists that you could take yourself down? Am I doing this for the glory of God or for my own glory? Okay. 
Number one is we must aim for the glory of God in disciple making. Number two, teach the Bible. And uh, you might even think this is too silly to mention, but it's not. I'll tell you why in a minute. We see several references in this prayer to a group of men that were given to Jesus. Do do y'all remember when we were reading through that, Jesus referenced it over and over again. The group of men that you've given me. The group of men that you've given me. The people who you gave me out of the world. Okay, who are those people? These are Jesus' disciples. Okay, what did Jesus do to this group of men that were given to him? Jesus' disciples. What did he do to them? Listen to this. In verse six, Jesus manifested God's name to this group of men. Also, in verse eight, he gave this group of men the words of God. So Jesus manifested God's name to His disciples, and He gave His disciples the words of God. Also in verse 14, Jesus gave them the Word. Okay, This is what He did to the men whom God had given Him. And what does this mean for us? It means that any attempt to make disciples has to involve explicitly teaching the Bible, the Word of God. The first component is always Bible teaching. How can we teach them to obey all that Jesus has commanded apart from teaching them the Bible, the Scriptures. You can't. Okay? This has to be explicit. All right? it's beca- here's, here's why I think this is important. It's becoming quite popular in our day okay, for a group of people. And this could be so well-intentioned. I'm not, I'm not saying that this is you know, malicious from the get-go. It can be so well-intentioned, but it falls unbelievably short. It's become really, really popular in our day. For two people to sit down together and drink a cup of coffee and have a nice chat and call it disciple making. Okay? And I've even heard people say this Jesus didn't carry around the Bible and teach his disciples. Jesus didn't carry around the Bible all the time. We don't have to do that. That is nonsense. And here's why. Okay? We have to, we have to explicitly teach the scriptures in everything that we do. Okay? And I would yes and amen to the fact that Jesus wasn't flipping out scrolls in front of His disciples all the time. But here's what's wrong with that statement. Every time Jesus opened His mouth and addressed the disciples, red letters fly out of His mouth. He is the God-man. And every single word that He ever spoke was the Word of God. So the words that Jesus gave His disciples were the Word of God. Okay, And if... Is every word that you speak the Word of God? And the answer is absolutely no. So do you understand that for us to model Jesus' strategy of disciple making, the Bible has to saturate everything that we do. The only way that we can give men and women the Word of God is to give them the Bible, the Word of God. Do you see this? So I say yes and amen to that whole, uh, it needs to be about a relationship. But I just say no way, never going to happen to the Bible being removed from personal disciple making. It is explicit. Um, number three, live life together. So we must teach the Bible, aim for the glory of God, teach the Bible, and live life together. In verse 12, you have this word, Jesus says that He was with this group of men. Okay, think about that. Jesus was with this group of men. This is a reminder for us that the Great Commission is a command to teach the Bible in the context of a relationship. 
Disciple making is not merely giving doctrinal instruction. We must be... Think about the, the, the command in the Great Commission. Teach them... It doesn't say teach them the Bible. What does it say? Teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. Okay? So the Great Commission, if you're going to obey this, is not about just giving people doctrinal instruction. You must be relationally close enough to someone to, to, to discern if they are observing the things that they are being taught. If you want to make disciples and obey the Great Commission, you have to be that close to someone. Okay? And this really can't happen apart from one-on-one or smaller group settings. You have to be close enough relationally with someone to see what they are doing with the Scriptures. We must be close enough to individuals to discern how they're processing our teaching. Are they understanding it? Are they obeying it? Is their character growing as fast as their knowledge of the Bible? Are they displaying any habitual sins? What are their strengths? What are their weaknesses? How can we pray for them? And to answer these questions demands that there's some kind of relational closeness to that person. And Jesus said He was with them. Being with someone also allows people access into our lives to where we not only can teach the Scriptures, but we can model what obedience to Jesus looks like. Being with someone also allows for a powerful bond to occur between two people. Think about this. Jesus loved His disciples. And His disciples loved Jesus. Being with someone in a relationship allows for this to happen. Our discipleship relationships should not be mechanical. They should be saturated by love for one another. We must be with them. Number four, pray for them. In verse 9, Jesus starts a lengthy prayer for His disciples. We must pray for the people that we are discipling. We actually have to care about people that we're discipling enough. We have to care about their growth and their walk with God enough to call out to God in intercession for that person. Okay, This is what Jesus modeled for us. What should we pray for them about? Take note of the prayers of Christ. Verse 11. What did Jesus pray for these disciples? Jesus prays that God would keep them in His name. Verse 11. Jesus also prays that they would be one. It's a reference to unity. In verse 15, Jesus prays that God would keep them from the evil one. That's a reference to Satan and his demonic work. In verse 17, Jesus prays that God would sanctify them and make them holy. So we must, we must follow this pattern. Jesus prayed for the, for the men whom God had given him. We must do the same thing. Number five. It's the last one. We must send them back into the mission of Jesus. In verse 18, Jesus says, I have sent them into the world. Okay, let's, let's break this down. We must teach the Bible in the context of a relationship with a very specific aim in mind. Okay, let me talk to you about that. Jesus did this. He had this group of men. He gave them the words of God. He was with them, and then what did He do? The aim was He would send them back into the world. They would be sent into this mission. The aim is for to teach someone to obey all that Jesus has commanded includes that we would teach people to obey the Great Commission. Does that make sense to you? 
So if disciple making is teaching people to obey all that Jesus has commanded, then it is demanded by us that we have to teach them to obey the Great Commission, which means we have to send them back into this mission. There has to be an aim to, this, to, the, to our teaching. Jesus' Jesus's earthly life was about making disciples. And His ministry was meant to be reproduced and multiplied among all the nations by these disciples. Okay, this was, this was explicit in His commands. So what, I, what this means for us, that disciple making for you, is not just randomly getting together with someone and giving someone a random Bible teaching. Okay? Disciple making is teaching the Word of God in the context of a relationship with an aim in mind that you're training this person to do the same thing with someone else. You're training them to obey Jesus. Okay? And you're training them to multiply this thing, to reproduce it to the ends of the earth. Okay? And where this is not specifically aimed at in our relationships, the Great Commission is not obeyed. Okay? This idea of multiplying this thing to the ends of the earth is explicit in the Great Commission. Okay? It adds a very specific aim to our relationships with people. Okay, this is not just a random Bible study. This is training to obey. This is training to multiply to the ends of the earth. This is the Great Commission. This has been commanded of every single follower of Christ. Alright, I pray that you would have been edified by John 4 and John 17. And I really hope that you get some time in the next few days to spend just thinking through that. Jesus, you did model evangelism for us. How can I respond? Jesus, you did model disciple making for us. How can I respond? I pray that that would be edifying to you. I want to wrap up our time together with some application. Uh, just, three, just three things I want you to think through. The name of this teaching is uh, the Great Commission. What is your personal responsibility? And what we've walked through so far is I've reminded you of the authoritative demands of Jesus on every single Christian. And then I freed you up, free in the Holy Spirit, to pursue obedience to this mission Exactly how God would have you, not other men. Okay? And then I'll walk through this example of Christ and personal evangelism. Some things that you can apply into every person's life and how we can walk this out. And the same thing for personal disciple making. Here's the first takeaway point I want to leave you with. Do not... We've been in this six weeks. Maybe seven weeks. Great commission I was looking for, Ryan. Maybe seven weeks. Something like that. Okay? This has been presented to you over and over and over again by design. Okay? My first point to you is don't ignore this any longer. There may be some of us here today who have known for quite some time that they were indifferent to the Great Commission. And my encouragement to you is that you would not ignore this. Please do not ignore the Great Commission. The Great Commission is not going away. Okay? We will not wake up one morning and God rip uh, Matthew 28 out of the Bible. It is not going away. It is an authoritative, perpetual mandate on the church. Okay? So my encouragement to you, the worst thing that you could possibly do is just keep pushing it off and ignoring it and becoming more callous and more callous. There needs to be some outlet in your life for evangelism and disciple making. Every single Christian in here. There needs to be some outlet in your life for evangelism and disciple making. So, what will you do? Okay, How will you respond to that command? What will you do? Please do not ignore these things. 
I want to remind every believer here that Jesus empowers us to obey. Right? There's two phrases in the Great Commission that are they're, they're unbelievable mercy from God. The Great Commission starts out with all authority. And heaven and on earth has been given to me. We go in the name of the One who has all authority. He is higher than every earthly power. Every satanic power. Jesus has all authority. And then the way that that mission ends is He is with us always, even to the end of the age. He has all authority. He has sent us out and He will be with us. The One who has all authority will be with us even to the end of the age. Jesus empowers obedience to the Great Commission. Second thing I would encourage you to do is to get ready. Here's what I mean by that. Maybe as we've unpacked this teaching series over and over and over again, I know that some of you have been helped because you've told me and Ryan about it in different ways. But maybe there's some of us here who still have this overwhelming sense that I don't know what to do, I'm not ready. Okay? And my encouragement to you, just real simple, is to get ready. It's time to get ready. This cannot wait any longer in your life. Okay? This whole, this whole idea of getting equipped. And what I mean by that is to, to share the gospel with somebody, you have to know the gospel. And to teach the Word of God to somebody, you have to know the Word of God. Okay? There is an element of having to be equipped to do this work. Okay? And if you're not ready, my encouragement to you is to get ready. This cannot wait. And in the, in the same breath, what I would encourage you with is listen, listen to this. Please listen to this. We want to help you. We want to help you get ready. Okay? This is not condemnation. This is in every way that I can imagine, we want to help you. Okay? And I don't just mean me or Ron. And I absolutely mean that. But this church is filled with people who want to help you, who want you to walk into these things, who can help you. Praise God that He's done this in our church. Okay? If you're not ready, you have to get ready. This cannot wait, and we want to help you. Think about this. Uh, I'll leave you with this verse. Proverbs 21, verse 31 says this. Think about this when you're thinking about getting equipped. Proverbs 21, verse 31 says, The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. We must make ourselves ready for the day of battle. So I'm just throwing that out there. I want to encourage you, if you're not ready, in some way communicate that to someone, and we want to help you, whatever that looks like. Last encouragement is to, I was all to encourage this church to persevere in obedience to the Great Commission. There are many of this church that have walked in obedience to the Great Commission, and I want to encourage us to press on more and more. Press on more and more. It's relatively common to get very discouraged in evangelism and disciple making. Anybody ever experienced that? That, that, you know, maybe the vast majority of times that you share Jesus with someone, they're not just like, oh man, that's awesome, sign me up. You know, I, I'm convicted of my sin, I'm broken before this holy, holy, holy God, what must I do to be saved? You know, and maybe the majority of people that you share Jesus with, maybe they don't respond like that. And maybe there have been people in your life that you've tried to pour the Word of God in, and it just didn't go right for one reason or another, Okay. This is a very common experience in our life, right? This is hard work. This is labor, okay? There, this is, there's nothing easy about what Jesus has called us to do. So I'm encouraging you to persevere in this work, all right? Maybe you've labored without much fruit. Maybe you've labored before and have gotten distracted with other things. 
And I want to close by stirring you up to courage with just four or five verses. These are promises from the Word of God. And I'm going to close with this. Let these promises from God's Word stir you up to courage to persevere in this mission. Proverbs 10, verse 21 says this, The lips of the righteous feed many. The lips of the righteous feed many. It's just true. Okay? This comes up almost every week when me and Ryan pray together. We're crying out, Lord, let the lips of the righteous feed many. And we're only righteous in Jesus, so let our lips feed many. And I'm, I'm encouraging you with this. Ask God to make that verse true in your life. The lips of the righteous feed many. Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. says this, And He said to them, Follow Me, and I will make you fishers of men. Promise from Jesus. Okay? And my encouragement to you is take that word, that promise from Jesus. Jesus, You said, if I follow You, You would make me a fisher of men. Jesus, You said this. And call out to God and ask God to make that verse true in your life that He would make you a fisher of men. 2 Corinthians 9, verses 8 and 10 say this, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Take that promise from God's Word and in the presence of God, call out to God and say, God, please make this verse true in my life. Increase the harvest of my righteousness, Lord. Lord, we, we want fruit. Last one, Galatians chapter 6, verse 9 says this, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. We will reap if we do not give up. Take that verse and ask God to make that verse true in your life. That you would reap a harvest. okay, And that you would not give up. That you would be faithful and not give up. And God would make His Word true in your life that we would reap. That we would reap things. So I pray that's an encouragement to you. I'm going to pray for us. And we're going to have a time to sing together. So I'd invite you to do that now. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank You for the privilege that You've called us into this mission. And I just want to remind myself of that, Lord. That I was an enemy. I was separated from You. I had no God. I had no hope. And You saved me, Lord. In sovereign mercy... God, you, you threw the lights on. You exalted Christ in my life. You sent the Gospel. And You saved, Lord. <clears throat> and You've called me, Lord, a redeemed sinner into Your mission as Your ambassador. Thank You for that, for that gift, Lord. That's unbelievable mercy from You, God. And God, I pray that You would help us as a church to feel the weight of Your commands. God, I pray that You would free us up as a local church from comparing ourselves to other people. And Lord, I pray that You would give us the courage to pursue what You've called each of us, Lord. I pray that You would give us the courage to pursue it. God, I pray that You would empower us to obey You. God, I pray that You would rend the heavens and come down on this church. Lord, I pray that You would help us. God, You have called us to an impossible task apart from Your Holy Spirit within us, Lord. 
And God, we pray that You would rend the heavens and come down. We pray, Lord, that You would fill us with the Holy Spirit. That You would empower us to evangelize. That You would empower us to make disciples. Jesus, we can do nothing apart from You, Lord. God, I pray that You would come upon a group of people. God, I pray that You would do a unique work in this church. God, I pray that You would shame pagan strategy. God, I pray that You would make Your Word true. That You would make us fishers of men. That we would reap a harvest, Lord. God, I pray that You would drive out discouragement from the minds of every believer in this room. Lord, help us to remember Your promise. You have all authority and You're with us to the end of the age. Always, Lord. You're our King. And we cry out to You, Lord. Be merciful and gracious to us, Lord. We want to bear fruit for Your glory and for Your namesake. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.